Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. How many of you, by show of hands, would say that you like to hike slash be outside? Yeah, go ahead and raise those up. That's good. Uh, How many of you would say that you are squeamish whenever it comes to like blood and, and that kind of thing? Yeah, that's me. I'm definitely there. That's the reason I do what I do and I'm not in the medical field of some kind, right? I don't like blood. In 2003, there was this hiker. His name is Aaron Ralston. He was hiking alone, which is a bad idea. Don't do that, right? He was hiking alone in Utah and uh, he was out in the middle of nowhere. He's kind of an extreme outdoorsman kind of guy. He falls into this area and his right arm gets wedged and stuck underneath a boulder. And so he is, man, he's, he's in a bad spot, right? He can't move his arm. Everything he tries, he can't get it out. He has no cell phone service. He has no way of, of calling somebody to help him. He's in an area where there's not gonna be anybody just coming by on their own, you know? So he's in a, he's in a pickle, right? He's in a bad spot. He's in a desperate situation, if you will. And so he knows that he is faced with a decision. He knows that, that if he stays there, um, he's gonna die of thirst or starva- starvation, right? And so after five days of being stuck in this spot with his arm wedged, he has to make a desperate decision and he decides to amputate his own arm. And the only thing that he had on him was what he calls a cheap multi-tool, the kind that you would get if you buy a flashlight and they happen to throw in a multi-tool, you know? And so he had one of those in his backpack. And so he begins to amputate his own arm with the little two-inch dull blade and the pliers. He cuts through the bone, cuts through the tendons, and saves the major arteries for last. I told you it's gross. I told you in the beginning, it's gross, it's nasty, right? After two hours, of working on that, he finally frees his arm and he survives, right? But it's just this desperate situation that he was in. So this morning, we're gonna see in our text a desperate situation as well. Not the same as that, right? Nobody's gonna be cutting their own arm off. This isn't the text where Jesus talks about cutting off your hand or if it offends you or anything like that. It's a different story, but it is a desperate situation. There's gonna be a woman who is finding herself in a very desperate spot. So to set the context of Mark chapter seven for you, if you were with us last week, we talked about how Jesus is a rock star at this point by all accounts. He's got crowds that are just coming to him from everywhere. He's doing ministry, he's tired. His disciples are tired. They're off doing ministry and all those kind of things. And last week in our story, it started by Jesus saying, let's get away and let's rest, right? You remember that? Let's get away, let's rest. Um, but they don't find rest, do they? In our story last week, they get in a boat and they, they try and go to a spot where they can rest. And what happens? Somewhere between 5,000 and 20,000 people are there waiting on them, you know? And Jesus feeds them all with a happy meal. Essentially, it's the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. That was last week. So then Jesus, he's, he's, he's still looking for rest in our story today. And uh, so he decides to go to this place called Tyre. It, Tyre is outside of the, outside of the borders of Israel. It's not, a, it's not a Jewish place. In fact, people that live there would be called Gentiles. And we'll get into all that. That's a big theme in the story, the Jews and the Gentiles thing. 
But Jesus goes to this area called Tyre that is about 40 miles away from where he currently was, all right? So he's, he's going on vacation. He's trying to get away. Tyre is known as a place that is extremely wicked, a lot of pagan worship. It's where a lady named Jezebel is from. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that she's not a good lady, right? That's where she's from. And so that's, that's this kind of place. And so Jesus goes there to get away. In fact, it starts, the verse that we're gonna look at starts by saying Jesus was trying to hide. He didn't want anybody to see him. And so he goes for vacation, but this lady finds him and she's got a desperate situation. And the question that I want us to wrestle with this morning in this text is, when was the last time that you were desperate for God to move? When was the last time that you were desperate for God to move? In, in your own life, in the life of your family, in the life of your kids, in your school, in your job, at your church? When was the last time you were desperate for God to move? What we're gonna see here is a lady who's desperate for God to move. Before we read the text, I want us to pray and ask God to speak to us in this moment. So I'll pray for all of us and you just pray for yourself. Ask God to speak to you in this moment. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would speak to us now through your word and through your spirit. God, would you do something new and fresh in this place today? Would you do something new and fresh in our own lives? Would you help us just to, just to come in and, and whatever it is that we're bringing into this room, God, that's creating a desperate sense of, of, of worry or anxiety in our lives, God, would you help us to bring it to you this morning just as the lady in this story does? And would you help us to trust you? Would you speak? We're listening we love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 24. Start in verse 24 with me. It says, He, Jesus, got up and departed from there to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, but he could not escape notice. Instead, immediately after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she was asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, let the children be fed first because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. That's uncomfortable, isn't it? That's a, that's a weird thing for Jesus to say. Verse 28, but she replied to him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, because of this reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. And when she went back to her home, she found her child lying on the bed and the demon was gone. All right, this is, a, this is an interesting story. There's some uncomfortable stuff that just happened, right? And we'll get into it uh, now. But, but it, it, it centers around this woman who has this issue back home uh, with a little girl, right? But the story really, really focuses in on this woman and Jesus. So who is she? Who is this woman, right? The first thing that you know about her is she, she's Gentile. In fact, Mark explicitly says that in verse 26. The woman was a Gentile. What you need to know about that is a Gentile is anybody who's not a Jew. So I would guess, being here in central Arkansas, that's every single one of us, right? We're Gentiles. We're not Jewish. And the thing about it is, is, is in this day, Jews and Gentiles did not get along at all. And in fact, it was very uncommon for Jewish men to speak to Gentile women. If you can think, there's another 
famous story of Jesus at the well with the Samaritan woman. Same kind of thing is happening here where Jesus isn't supposed to even be talking to her. So this conversa conversation that happens is kind of scandalous, really. It, it's shocking. It shouldn't be happening by cultural standards. So she's a Gentile and Jesus is a Jewish man. But there's more to the story than just that. She's a Gentile, yes, but she's a mom, right? She's a mom and she's got this desperate situation at home with her daughter. It says my little daughter. So her little girl is beyond medical help and she's desperate to try and help. That's the scene. She's, she's desperate to try and help her kid. If you're a parent, you know probably what that's like, right? That you're willing to do anything you possibly can to help your kids. I know that I've felt like, I've felt that before. I've been in a moment in a situation where it just felt desperate, uh, a moment with my kids. In November of 2017, my middle son now, Dax, he was two years old and he started to have these issues where he was just like turning blue and his lips were turning blue and he was very lethargic and we didn't know what was going on with him. And so we took him to his pediatrician and she looked at him and, and we went back to her a couple of times and she sent us home going, he, you just keep an eye on him, he, he's fine. Well, finally it got so bad where he was like, I mean, he was, he was looking really bad. And so we took him to his pediatrician. She was like, okay, and they ran some blood tests on him. And I'll never forget, the pediatrician came back into the room and she sat right down in front of me and Abby and she was obviously scared, just the look on her face, she was scared. And she goes, look, his blood count is at a dangerous level. You need to take him and go as fast as you can to Children's Hospital in Oklahoma City. Don't go home and get a bag, don't do any, you need to go straight there, right? She gave us her personal cell phone number saying, if you need anything, call us, right? So we could tell, okay, this is, this is intense. And so we rushed to Children's Hospital in OKC we get there, we're in the emergency room and, and they're running all kinds of tests and they're trying to figure out what's going on. They're throwing around the word leukemia a lot, right? And then they say, we need to admit him. And so we found ourselves the day before Thanksgiving um, on the 10th floor of Children's Hospital, which is the cancer floor of Children's Hospital. And you talk about a low point, you know, just being scared and worried as a, as a dad, um, just what are we going to do with our kid? We felt anxious. We felt alone. You know, we were there in the hospital and I'll never forget, you know, the groups that'll come in and like provide a meal for the families that are there on the cancer floor and, and whatnot around the holidays and Thanksgiving. That was us. And, and we had never been on that side of the equation. We'd done some nice things for people in the hospital before in ministry and different things, but we'd never been one of the families that was having the nice things done for us. You know, the, the, people brought around the, the, the service dogs for the kids to pet and stuff like that there on, um, in the hospital. It was just a, it was a different experience. It, we were there on Thanksgiving Day, and the only person that came to see us in the hospital was a guy named Bob Stoops, legendary Oklahoma football coach, right? He was making his rounds on Thanksgiving. And so we were just alone, and we were scared, and we were in a desperate spot. Thankfully, they were able to diagnose him with something that wasn't wasn't cancer and, and it's, we've only had kind of one scare since then, but it was just this moment of just not knowing what's happening with your kid, you know? I don't think I've ever prayed more than I did in that season. You're just feeling, my kid needs help. I'm desperate to help him and I know that I'm helpless. 
I know that I need somebody else to step in and help. And that's how this mom felt in Mark chapter seven. That's how she felt. My kid is in a bad spot. I need somebody else to, to help and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get her the help that she needs. This mom was desperate. And so she's heard the stories about Jesus. Like obviously she, she's, she's heard about him. You can kind of pick up on that from the fact that she comes to him in this story. And in her desperation, she comes straight to Jesus. And what she does is for us is she models, I think three things for us whenever we're in a desperate spot as well. Three things that she models in her desperation. First, we see persistency. Her desperation is seen through her persistency. Verse 25 says that she fell at his feet. Like, I want you to see her. I want you to get a sense of her desperation in this, in this story. How many other places has, has she tried to go to get a solution for her daughter? How many other places has, has she tried to find uh, the help that her daughter needs? It's not like she just heard, hey, there's this guy named Jesus and he does cool stuff. And she's like, oh yeah, I got a daughter who could use some help. No, she's been actively searching everywhere that she knows to look. She's at the end of her rope. She's tried everything and she's gone everywhere to try and help her daughter. And now she hears that Jesus is here. She knows nothing else can help her because she's tried it all. And so this moment of desperation is because she's gotten to the end of her rope. Right? And so she comes to him, she falls at his feet, basically saying, I've got no other options. Matthew, in his parallel account of this story in Matthew chapter 15, um, he helps us to see how her desperation is seen in, in her persistency. Matthew chapter 15, this is how Matthew tells this same story. Verse 22, he says, Just then a Canaanite woman from that region came and kept crying out. She kept crying, persistency. Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. Now that is a messianic term, son of David, right? So even though she's Gentile, she's calling him Lord and she's calling him son of David. So she understands some things apparently, right? My daughter is severely tormented by a demon and Jesus did not say a word to her. His disciples approached him and urged him, send her away because she's crying out after us. And he replied, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came, knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. Do you see her persistency? Now there's a lot of stuff going on here culturally with the Jews and Gentiles. And, and I know that just reading that on surface level just makes you uncomfortable, doesn't it? That the, she comes in asking for help and it says, Jesus doesn't say a word, right? I told you it's uncommon for Jewish rabbis, Jewish men to speak to Gentile women. That's what's happening here. The disciples say, we need to get her out of here. Again, it's not, it's not good for her to even be seen with Jesus. And they were trying to get away for a vacation. Remember, they're trying to rest. So she just persistently comes back. She comes and she falls down before him and she asks, she says, Lord, please help my little girl. Just help her. So her desperation leads to her just keep on asking. Just keep asking. So again, can you see her? She's begging for her little girl because her little girl can't ask for herself, right? Just, she's persistent. This is a picture of what it looks like to intercede on behalf of someone else, 
to pray, to go to the Lord on behalf of someone else. And we need to learn from her example here that she just keeps coming back to Jesus. The point for us is to pray with persistence. Just keep coming back to him. Keep bugging him. Keep coming back to the Lord. See, the truth is we all have loved ones. We have friends, we have family, we have church brothers and sisters who need God to move in their lives and they need you and me to just bug God on their behalf. (laughs) One of my favorite old theologians is a guy named J.C. Ryle. And he says this, it is the greatest kindness we can do to anyone to speak for him to our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying the nicest thing that you can do for somebody, the most kind thing that you can possibly do for somebody else is to take them before the Lord. Pray for them with persistence, knowing that he's gonna hear your prayers. So mom or dad, man, pray for your kids. Pray constantly for your kids. Whether that's the tough situation that they're in in school or or the, the thing that they're facing and the decisions that they're making, or maybe you need to pray that they come to know Jesus, that they give their life to him, but just keep on praying for them. I know you can't make that decision for them, even though that you wish that you could, and it'd be so much easier if you could. But the one, that, one thing that you can do is always pray for them, right? Grandparents, same thing. Be praying for your grandkids. Be praying for your kids, knowing that he hears your prayers. Students, be praying for your friends. Be praying for those who are around you in school. Be praying for your parents. Maybe they need to know Jesus. Be praying. Pray with persistence. Don't stop praying for them. Pray like this desperate mom in this story with persistence. So we see, in her, we see her desperation through her persistence. We see it, number two, in her humility. Verse 26 through 28, I know that it gets kind of, kind of weird. It says, the woman was a Gentile, Syrophoenician. She came asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, that's uncomfortable, isn't it? <laughs> like Jesus just called this woman a dog, right? And it's like, hey, Jesus, that's not cool. <laughs> you're not supposed to call ladies dogs, right? Like that's just 101. You're not supposed to call ladies dogs. So I know that that feels weird. Let me explain what's happening. G- the Jewish people had a slang or a derogatory term for the Gentiles, and it was dog. They called them dogs. But the, the, the way that they used it was it, was it was always picture like a wild, stray, mangy type of dog. That's what they were calling the Gentiles, right? But when Jesus calls her a dog here, he's not using that same Greek word. See, see the word that he uses here is only used in Mark chapter 7 and Matthew chapter 15, the two accounts that tell this story. Jesus completely uses a different word for dog, and the word that he uses is not of a wild, stray, mangy dog. The word that he uses translates more little dog or household pet, right? In fact, the the word that he uses for dog, the Greek word sounds a whole lot like the same word that's used for little daughter. So what Jesus is doing is it's a play on words. He's intentionally making a point. He is acknowledging the cultural thing that's happening where Jews would call Gentiles dogs, but he's not calling her that in the same kind of way, right? He's acknowledging what's happening, but he's not being mean about it. He's actually being playful. So 
one of the major themes of this story is yes, there was a cultural divide between Jews and Gentiles. Mark is clear about it. He tells us she was a Gentile, uh, that she was a Syrophoenician. Like he wants us to see that. This is a major theme of what's happening here. Now, some people um, are weird with their dogs, right? Like they, they really love their dogs a whole lot. You know what I mean? And maybe you're one of those kind of people. Like you put sweaters on it, you paint its little nails, you, you take it to Starbucks <laughs> and, and stuff like that. Like you really, really love your dog and that's fine, right? But even you would admit that there's a difference between a dog and a child, right? A son or a daughter. And that's the point Jesus is making. That's the point he's making. He says in verse 27, let the children be fed first. He's talking about the Jewish people. What you need to understand, this will help you understand your Bible. The, one of the major themes of scripture is, is God is, is establishing his kingdom here on this earth. And he's gonna do that by establishing a people, or maybe better said, a family. You see it all the way back in the beginning of scripture. Genesis chapter 12, God tells a guy named Abram that he is going to use him to establish a people. This is gonna be the Jewish people, all right? But in that same promise, he says, and through them, all the nations of the earth are gonna be blessed. And so what you see all throughout scripture is God sets aside the Jewish people. They are his chosen people throughout all of the Old Testament, but he always had a plan to reach all the nations. Always. It started in Genesis chapter 12, and you can trace it all throughout the Bible. If you're just reading with that kind of lens, you'll see it everywhere. And so remember where this story in Mark chapter 7 falls in the history of the Bible. Up until this point, the, the cultural divide still exists. Up until this point, the good news has not gone out past the Jews yet. But here we start to see that change, don't we? We start to see that shift. Romans 1.16 says this as clear as I could possibly put it. it. says, for Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek, all right? So God had said, I, have, I plan to reach all the nations, but it's gonna start with a Messiah who's a Jew, okay? And it's through his death and his resurrection, that that divide between Jews and Gentiles is ended. Just read Ephesians chapter two this afternoon. It talks all about it. That's your homework for this afternoon. Ephesians chapter, chapter two. But what happens when, when Jesus dies and he raises from the dead, he ends that hostility between Jews and Gentiles. And, and then what's crazy is he brings the Gentiles in and makes them family. That's you and me. We are called the family of God, children of God, just like the Jews, right? So this, this cultural divide that's happening in this passage actually points us to the gospel. It points us to the good news. So this, the children and the dog stuff that's happening here in this passage, it feels mean and it feels unfair only if you feel that you're entitled to be called a child. Does that make sense? The only way that what he said is mean or untrue is if you feel like you are owed being called a child and you're not. In fact, scripture calls us worse than dogs. It calls us enemies of God. That we are his enemies outside of knowing Jesus. But through the death and resurrection of Jesus, adoption is on the table. 
So you go from being an enemy of God and you're not just pardoned and told, go away. You're not just pardoned, you're told now you're adopted as a child of the king. That is the good news of the gospel. Through his blood, through his resurrection, that offer is extended to you. Ephesians chapter two, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He goes on, verse 19. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Do you see it? You and I, Gentiles, dogs, have been brought in and declared children by faith in Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus as your savior, that is the offer that's extended to you. Through the work that he's done, through his death, through his resurrection on your behalf, you can trust him as your savior and be declared a child of God, right? The question is, is are you willing to see yourself as the dog that you are so that you might be transformed into the child with a place at the table, right? That's how you see the gospel in the story. But back to the story. This woman understands all that cultural stuff that I just outlined. She understands. She understands the cultural order and she comes to Jesus knowing that he's a Jewish rabbi, she's a Gentile woman or a dog as some might say. She knows Jesus doesn't owe her a thing. So she comes humbly. You don't owe me anything. Her desperation leads her past all the weird, cultural, awkward stuff to throw herself at the feet of Jesus in humility. And so she says, Lord, even, even the little dog gets a few crumbs thrown down to him. Even the little children, you know, sometimes I have to get on my kids. They'll try and feed our dog under the table. You're not supposed to do that. But that's what she's saying. Even the little dog gets some food from time to time. Basically, as if to say this, you don't owe me anything. I have no rights here, but I'm just asking for some crumbs from the table. I'm just asking for a little bit, just a little bit of help from the son of David, Matthew 15, 22, from the Messiah. And it's through that, that humble act, that we see the, the third thing. And the third thing is we see her faith. See her faith. See, when she responds that way, Jesus says in Matthew's account, Matthew 15, 28, says, woman, your faith is great. Or you have, you have great faith. See, it's obvious that she trusts him. He sees her faith and then he responds to her desperation. And Matthew says, at that moment, she was healed. I get that in your mind. The little girl's not even here. She's down the road somewhere. She, she's in another house somewhere, some way. And Jesus, just with his word, frees her. It doesn't even have to be in the room, right? Doesn't have to be in the room. Didn't even have to speak to the demon, but she's healed. Don't miss Jesus's power in this passage. Don't miss that. Because his power here is the same as whatever you're facing. Whatever that desperate situation is that you're in, his power is the same. And when he says that, the little girl is healed. The mom goes back home and the little girl's just like setting up, playing with some toys or something, completely healed. Why? Because this desperate mom came to Jesus and begged for her little girl. 
And so the way I want us to close this morning is just by asking, when was the last time you were desperate for God to move? When was the last time that you were desperate for God to move, knowing that if he doesn't move in this situation, you're sunk? And I understand that Jesus alone has the power to actually fix all this stuff that I'm going through right now. And so I know that it's only through his power, but if he doesn't do something, this is not gonna end well. And you're in a place of just desperation for God to move in your own life, in your kid's life, in your family, in your church, in your school, in your work, whatever it may be, you're desperate for him to do something. Are you there this morning? Are you desperate for the Lord to move? If so, let's come to him with persistency and humility and faith, knowing that he is able to do something about it. We desperately need a move of God. Here in this church, here in our city, in our country, I know in your life, in your family's life, we desperately need him to move. And so what I want us to spend the next few moments doing is just getting on our face like this mom and, and, and falling before him and say, Jesus, we need you to move. And so I'm gonna ask you to do something that I know is uncomfortable for you because I know how you are and you don't like to really express yourself in any kind of way. You don't really like to move or look at anybody. I know, right? So I'm acknowledging that. But what I'm gonna ask you to do is in just a moment, we're gonna sing an extended time together. And I'm gonna ask you just to come forward, get with your family, get with a friend, get with somebody in your small group. And I just want you to pray, get on your face in desperation before God to do something about the thing that you're facing. And if you're like, I don't know, I don't know about coming forward or whatnot, that's fine. Stay where you're at. But but I wanna encourage you to move in some kind of way. I want us to do this. Let's get before the Lord in desperation together. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the moments that we share together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this example of this amazing Gentile woman who had great faith in you. Help us to follow her example. Help us just to come to you in persistence and humility and faith, knowing that you alone can do something and help us to trust you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.